Hey, it's the Friendsgiving episode of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Well, not really, because Friendsgiving isn't a real thing. Um, it's a fake thing. But we are having some friends over today to talk about politics and to grade the job performances of others. So if Friendsgiving was a real thing, that would be pretty close. Shana Roth of Michigan Public Radio, Jonathan Oosting of the Detroit News, and the Alec Baldwin of this podcast, minus the assault charges, Zach Gorchow of Gongwer News Service, they're all with us today. Also, the Golden Turkey Awards. Thank- Happy Thanksgiving. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Are we recording a new intro this season? Why? I'm just wondering. Are you saying that you've had enough of Sarah Humbry? No, 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 no. I, mean, I, I love Sarah. I would like to be a part of the intro. I think that right. would be nice. Well, why don't we work that little line in? That was good. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a spot for it. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his head. It's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like, fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff in some fruit. There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it. But it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... See Okay. Take two. Hello. Welcome to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, this is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies. We are a public affairs and public relations firm in downtown Lansing, Michigan. You can find us at reschstrategies.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Resch Strategies. And you can find all of our podcast episodes there on our website and also on iTunes and a number of other platforms. Before we get going with our guests today, and we have we have many. I want to go around and let uh, my colleagues on Restrategies team introduce themselves. We tried this unsuccessfully a few minutes ago. Microphones didn't work. It was <laughs> chaos. Joe cussed a lot. Um, but we're back. Nikki, let's give this a go. Okay. Nikki O'Meara. Stephanie Vancouvering. Joe Beshi. And Nick DeLue is here. So when we started researching doing a podcast, one of the, there are lots of, lots of articles on the, on the web about do's and don'ts about things that you should you should think about doing things that you should certainly avoid one of the very first things on most of those lists is they tell you not to have a lot of people on the podcast at one time yeah but whatever so we're going to have 150 people in the room today um no we so we have asked three distinguished reporters from the the lansing capital press corps to join us to do a little bit of analysis some deep dive into election, the elections that just came and went, give us their expert opinions. Um, we are joined by Shana Roth of Michigan Public Radio. Hello Shana. there. A repeat, repeat guest. She already has her mug, so no mug today. I love my mug. Jonathan Oosting from the Detroit News. Jonathan. Hey, and I'm a first-timer. I have my mug in front of me right here. Excellent. Very impressed. It has a spoon. <laughs> yes, a mug with a spoon. And the Alec Baldwin of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, <laughs> Zach Gorchow, is with us again. Uh, he seems to keep getting in here a lot. He is. We did a survey. Did you know this? We did a survey over the summer. Right. You were by far the most popular guest. We well, had. you know, my parents and in-laws are devoted listeners, so clearly they're... Or stuff in the ballot box. Well, hopefully we can off. avoid having you do, do an Alec Baldwin. You cannot get into like get arrested, you know, get, with your, par- <laughs> your parking spot when you leave here after this. I will do my best. How's your Trump impression? <laughs> uh, it's it's lacking. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can get into that today. Okay, we can workshop it right on the podcast. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk to these th- three folks about the election a little bit and about some other things. Um, so you know, as you've heard. The election is over. We're coming to you. This is actually our Thanksgiving episode. We're, you know, we'll be coming to you live on this, um, the day leading into Thanksgiving. So wanted to get you all in here to talk about what just happened, and I want to kick that off by asking, and I'll, you can all see who wants to volunteer first. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, hmm. and why? Oh. <laughs> I mean, well, this is we wanted to get I, into politics in the election, so let's go. I, I'll tell you, my mother-in-law makes some amazing Brussels sprouts. Ooh. They are roasted. Mm-hmm. I look forward to them every year. It's almost become a side joke at Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, 
There goes Zach. He's going right in on the Brussels sprouts, and he's going to talk about them now, about how much he loves them, because he never does that every year. But. Brussels sprouts seem to have made a comeback in recent years. They seem I, to be the trendy vegetable. And, and they're good. With yeah. good I don't know why they, they, really they got good. a bad name. They had a bad because name. Because they're gross? They're not gross. You don't like anything. Well, I like you just haven't had a like good batch. You're probably right about that. Yeah. Shana? Uh, I am a traditionalist, and I n- insist that it is not a Thanksgiving dinner unless the cranberry gel that comes in the can, mm-hmm. particularly if it keeps the can formation yes. as it's out of the can, yes. uh, it's not Thanksgiving without that. I'm not going to say it's like my favorite food to eat, but I mean, it's it's necessary, and I, I do love just to have a slice of those cranberries every year. It makes that slurping sound as it mm-hmm. comes sliding out of the can. It does a little boing thing. Oh, right. Yep. Jonathan. All right. Well, I'm going to pick a uh, sort of obvious one. Um, like Zach, I my family has a running joke. Anytime I eat something more than, and this is my pick, dinner rolls. <laughs> I was an extremely picky eater as a child and wouldn't eat uh, anything beyond bread. But I will uh, make a case for bread that it is a overlooked part of any good meal. Uh, I was terrified when the Atkins diet was storming the country and we were looking at a future where bread didn't come free with soup uh, and other travesties like that. So uh, I'm glad it stuck around. But there could have been the argument for surplus bread. If people are passing up on the carbs, there's got to be extra bread around. More for me. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so now for the political twist. If Gretchen Whitmer and Bill Schuette were a Thanksgiving side dish, what side dish would they be? Oh, How clever are you? Because that's all this is. <laughs> we had some fun get, trying to come up with with some suggestions and some ideas. Steph, yeah, what was I, you, you? You had one yesterday. I did. I felt that Bill Shooty would be fluffed yams, just because yams. Um, and then <laughs> I, I, that's unimpeachable logic. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also thought, no, no, no. You had that backwards. I had that backwards. But I didn't Whitmer want to. Wow, you really. Yams. I've said it wrong now. <laughs> You're going to have to edit this out. Um, Whitmer is the fluff jams. Bill Schuette is the cranberries because nobody really wants the cranberries, but you have to put them out every year and nobody eats them. Wait, I, is he I the gelled them. cranberries or is he the fresh cranberries? He's the traditional Thanksgiving cranberry. No. I'll just say one is a ham, one's a turkey, and I, I won't say which is which. Oh. I buy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, that's tough. Uh, I'll go with um, shooty, pumpkin pie, uh, orange, Trump, orange. <laughs> Is that a reach or what? That's kind of a reach. Um, I mean, if you got Whitmer, explain. I'll just go. I'll go with mincemeat pie only because it reminded me. Mincemeat pie reminds me of the consistency of like asphalt and roads. So wow. how about that? You did a very good job of like not doing picking any any side dish that, that reflected on their personality. Okay. <laughs> you caught me off guard, so that was well, the best no, I could do. <laughs> you got anything down there? Uh, I was just you. Thinking- I, I knew. I thought this would be a perfect thing because when I asked you what sandwich you would be, what NPR personality sandwich you would be, you had one like immediately. I did. I got the answer to this. Okay. Shooty is the green bean casserole that, you know, has been around for decades mm. and decades and is something of a, of a staple if Thanksgiving is the capital. And uh, Gretchen is, I'm going to go with, like, roasted potatoes. Like, sometimes you go mashed potatoes, sometimes you go roasted potatoes. So she's, like, a slightly, you know, a different take on the potato. Not quite traditional, but a part of it because you got to have potatoes every year. That's okay. my answer. Fix the damn potatoes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And add the Brussels sprouts. So looking at the winners um, who came out on election day, what should Gretchen be the most thankful for? She sits down and on, sits down <laughs> for, her, for her dinner. What should she be most thankful for? I mean, I'm sure this is not what she would say, but that Donald Trump won the presidency mm-hmm. in 2016. Uh, as soon as that happened... It, set the whole table for what was to follow. Imagine how different things would have been if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency. Um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer announces her candidacy the first business day of the new year. And, you know, I think it would have been a lot harder raising all that money uh, and generating all that excitement and harnessing all that energy. Uh, I, that, that set, there was a lot that she did right, don't get me wrong, but that set the table. 
keeping the Thanksgiving theme mm-hmm. alive, setting the table nicely done. There you go. I'm going to go with Sri Tanadar and Abdul Al-Sayed. Mm-hmm. I think um, <laughs> the fact that she had a fairly spirited primary that she still won handily, um, I think forced her to uh, come up with some serious policy proposals to match what uh, Abdul was doing. Um, and um, that gave her, uh, to use a Thanksgiving metaphor, a lot of meat on the bone um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I think really differentiated uh, her in the general election campaign against Shudi, whose uh, policy proposals were a little more surface level um, than Whitmer's. Uh, I'm going to go with Republican control in Michigan because, you know, her timing was absolutely perfect. She's coming off of eight years of having a Republican governor. I mean, that really tips the scales in the Democrats' favor automatically. But then also to jump off of Zach's, you know, a Republican in the White House, particularly when that Republican is Trump, really kind of helped her out. So I think maybe she's just thankful for Republicans. Hmm. How about Debbie? Similar, obviously, rode a similar wave, um, but different circumstances. What should she be most thankful for? I think her war chest. I mean, she. I mean, she kind of needed to dip into that, given that John James was getting so much uh, extra publicity. I mean, is he a? A correspondent on Fox News yet? I Big mean, contributor, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I think you know, having all of that money really built up really helped her out, and hopefully, she's. I would imagine she's probably thankful for. More money's being added to that. Um, I'll say the Michigan Farm Bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, continued this, in, you know, uh, her ability to uh, keep some inroads uh, with rural areas. Though she definitely, uh, her support outstate contracted in a big way compared to six years ago. But nonetheless, that allowed her to stiff arm John James, which was really the whole strategy of her campaign was to pretty much pretend he didn't exist and basically treat him as irrelevant. Um, and it really didn't get scary for her until the very end when it was too late. Yeah, I think she's probably thankful she got to spend time campaigning at apple orchards and other sort of <laughs> idyllic um, you know, Michigan fall stops um, in a campaign that she, she did uh, very much run um, from a position of power and rarely mentioned her uh, opponent's name. I, I'd also, I'm not sure whether she's happy he, he didn't come, but I think the fact that I think if Trump had come here in the final weeks of the campaign for John James, it might have made things even more interesting. Um, so at once she was thankful that John James once said he supports uh, the president 2000% because she used that against him um, when she did go on the attack. Uh, but at the same time, I think she's probably thankful Trump didn't come here in the final weekend of the campaign. So I think that could have just complicated things, riled up the base, and made things more interesting than it already was. He tends to do that sometimes. (laughs) Occasion. (laughs) How about legislative Republicans? They won, kind of, by not losing as much as many people thought. They're still in charge anyway. What What should they be thankful for? The Upper Peninsula? Yeah. Mm. I was going to say, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the de- Democrats uh, did flip six seats in the House, but then they lost one in the Upper Peninsula um, to Republicans, sort of a, a race that wasn't on many people's radars. Um, one of the big upsets in the 110th District, um, that was Scott DeAnda's old seat. He also lost in a very competitive state Senate race in the UP to Ed McBroom. Um, and I think, um, you know, well, uh, the easy answer for Democrats is that gerrymandering um, played a role. Um, there's also just some real uh, realities right now um, in terms of geography that uh, Republicans uh, have to be very thankful for. Um, that you, the Upper Peninsula is uh, going to be sort of a red firewall for them for years to come. I'll say the uh, the DeVos family donations. You know, when you look at what. Whitmer, Alyssa Slotkin, and Haley Stevens did to the Republicans. I mean, just absolutely took them to school and fundraising and money and outspent the, the heck out of them. That wasn't the case in the state legislative races where um, overall the Republicans still had a pretty good advantage. And, you know, the DeVos family, and I forget the exact number, but they're somewhere in the order of 8 to 12 of them who max out to the caucuses, who give to the individuals. And the Democrats simply can't match that firepower. So, you know, boy, think about how different things might have been had uh, the spending advantages the Democrats had in those congressional seats, the governor's race, and the U.S. Senate race, had that happened in those legislative races, 
um, you know, it might have gotten pretty scary for, for the Republicans. I'm going to look ahead and I'm going to say they're thankful for having about four weeks of lame duck and that sort of cushion to get a bunch of stuff done that they might want to get done before they are now overseen by a Democratic governor and sort of have their reins kind of held in a little bit. So I would imagine they're excited about that cushion and long, long nights. It's going to be interesting to watch how they how they adapt, having been in control for eight mm -hmm. years and how different life is running a legislative effort and a communications effort when you have the bully pulpit gone and you're now you're fighting. I can remember those days clearly going into the, the legislature when Granholm started and you know from from the angler time to the to the Granholm time you became a much more high profile communications position and a much more important job and it'll be interesting to see how they how they roll that out. Zach's nodding on the I'm radio. <laughs> I can opine. I didn't know if you wanted me to jump in on that, but um, no, everything changes, especially, you know, the Republicans aren't going to have a statewide office holder for the first time since the 1980s. Um, so Lee Chatfield and Mike Shirky are going to be the faces of uh, the Republican Party, really, uh, for the next two years. So we've put together some awards. It is the We're entering the holiday season, so it's about awards, I guess, maybe. So we've uh, the golden turkeys, prestigious, okay, the very prestigious. <laughs> prestigious. The first annual Inaugural. golden turkeys. This goes. We'll see if we maybe want to do this as part of our Thanksgiving <laughs> episodes every year. Um, we've got six categories, and again, just like not having a bunch of people on a podcast, we also they also advise to keep things simple. So this is this. Let me just lay the ground rules out for you for the golden turkeys. Six categories. We have a Twitter handle for the for the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It is Cold Oatmeal Pod the, at Cold Oatmeal Pod. I think we have four followers there at the at, on Twitter. So these so it will be easy to kind of stack the vote here. But what I'd like to do, if you're all game, is to go through the Golden Turkeys, get your not ask you for your nominations for these six awards. We are going to post the nominations on our Twitter feed. People can go to the Cold Oatmeal Pod on Twitter, cast their votes. Next time, we will reconvene. You don't have to come back. Unless you want to. Zach, Zach's like, I'll come back. I'll I'll fourth appearance. Yeah. Going for five. Come back, and we, we will unveil the winners of the, uh, the, the Golden Turkeys. And the reporter with the most Golden Turkeys will get an, an actual award. golden turkey. All right. We'll see if we can find an actual golden okay. turkey. <laughs> it might just be gold-colored. Yeah. <laughs> So the first, the first award of the Golden Turkeys, the most important underreported story of the campaign. This is where we sub in the Jeopardy music while you guys think. <laughs> and I do, I guess I acknowledge that I am saying that you are like something that you all didn't report enough. But the most important story that you thought went underreported. Pharmacy benefit managers. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't get any coverage. No, no. I can cut out all this dead air, so take your time. All right, it's fine. <laughs> um, I would say just uh, spending decisions by the campaign. You know, we paid attention to it a little bit at the end when Shooty had to scale back um, his spending, but um, up till that point, not a whole lot of uh, people were questioning how much the Shooty campaign spent in the primary. Um, to um, defend him against attacks in a race that he ended up winning by 25 points? It's not one topic, but I, and I, so I don't know if it's, this really fits, but just the, le you know, difficulty in prying answers out of the candidates. You know, these are two candidates they are both very, very on message. And so you might ask them, you know, something pretty specific and they'll just basically might as well have just said, nah, I'm not going to answer that. I mean, like, for example, during the campaign toward the end, we asked uh, Gretchen Whitmer, you know, would she initiate settlement talks with the Flint water plaintiffs? And it's, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about that, uh, you know, getting, you know, trying to get uh, Bill Schuette to answer a question about, you know, as he was you know, railing against the possibility of a gas tax proposal. And then sort of getting to pull him back and say, well, wait a minute, you voted for a gas tax increase when you were in the Senate. Why is this, you know, such a terrible idea? I mean, he eventually would get there, but it was just so difficult pinning these two candidates down. That's a good one, Zach, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, you can't really write a story that says, 
I asked Bill Schrute eight questions, and he gave me the same answer for every one. Right. <laughs> or Gretchen Whitmer, because that wouldn't be very interesting to read. Um, um, but I, I don't know. Sometimes we post videos with stories, and you can get yeah. a better sense of how um, candidates are actually responding to questions in real time. Shane, do you have a nominee? I do. Brian Callie's beard. <laughs> Lots of social media coverage now. There was some social media coverage. And overall, I think just kind of once the, particularly after the primaries, the, the candidates that lost, they kind of completely fell off the radar. But I think Callie has been an interesting human since the primary. Just his, when he came out during the Republican convention, I mean, this was... I wanted to know where this guy was throughout the whole primary. You know, he comes out, he's got his beard. He's like, you guys are lucky I'm wearing pants. I mean, <laughs> so I'm going with uh, with uh, Brian Kelly's beard. That's going to win. Yeah, let's win. face it. Winner. It's great for Twitter. <laughs> Click, clickbait. You know, but you raise a good point. And I noticed this, and I heard people say it about Bill on election night. Mm-hmm. Nick, I know you said it about DeVos on election night. I said it about Dick Postumos on election night. Notice all three of them lost. So that's the, the commonality. <laughs> but the, the personality that came out in their concession speech, yeah. yep. and everyone's like, I can remember Detroit TV reporters, like me yelling at them, because they're like, who is, like about Postumos, where was this guy for the last year? And I'm like, well, you never bothered to come find out. But, you know, that, that, that it's like that whole, it's over, and like this weight is lifted, and all of a sudden they become real people again. It's a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, I think in Kelly's case, he sort of ran. He went negative in a way that didn't suit his personality very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So to see him relieved uh, of that pressure, it's like, um, you know, a great weight has been lifted off his shoulders, and he's uh, he's funnier than he's ever been. <laughs> so let's flip the question. So the second golden turkey. The least important, most overreported story of the campaign. Well, I, I'll get up on my soapbox about yes, this. Here we go. Uh, polls. Polls. Like, there's just the. Uh, I, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to pick on anyone specifically here, but there's something I've started calling it the polling media political consultant industrial complex, <laughs> and that'll catch on. The problem. <laughs> right. That's a know, Twitter, that is also really a Twitter winner. For, right. That's that's really made for a hashtag. Um, or for you know it. It's and it's not, you know, Jonathan's paper employs a really good pollster, Glenn Gariff. So I, I think no they, do a, taken. they do a really good job with it. And I think they ask, they've asked really good questions. So it's less about that uh, and more about these sort of fly by night, more pollsters who, who just throw stuff into the ether that isn't vetted through good journalistic practices. Um, but then it gets seized upon, um, you know, by by some media entities, and I'm not going to exempt us because in the past we would have been one of those media. We, you know, we would a poll comes out, uh, may, maybe we're not that familiar with it, but we'd write about it. We'd hold deadline to write about it. Um, but you you talk to the people who work in the industry now, and it's like when one of these polls comes out, no matter how checkered the pollster's reputation, no matter how poorly it may have been interpreted, it freezes the news cycle for like 24 to 72 hours. And just everything stops. It seems to affect everything that's happening. Um, and I just, you know, I think there's definitely an important place for um, public opinion surveying. But I think a combination of the public and, in some cases, us not knowing how to interpret those numbers. You know, the good example there was a, a poll, again, not the Detroit News, uh, that came out uh, earlier in the cycle, during the cycle, that showed the race, I think it said eight, an eight point margin, if I remember. Um, and it was uh, interpreted, maybe it was six, doesn't matter. It was interpreted by the reporter writing it that the race was tightening based on comparing that to a poll done by a different pollster using, of course, different methodology and a different uh, surveying system. Um, but because one was smaller than the other, the headline in the story was, uh, the race could be tightening. And it froze every, you know, then, you know, what does the shooty campaign do? This becomes their whole thing. They then are driving this with their social media, their press releases, to be like, this race is getting closer. Um, you know, uh, the Whitmer campaign then starts pushing back. You know, people, th- this drives fundraising. I mean, and you know, this is where I think it gets into really dangerous territory for us in the news media, 
about how we want to do these horse race polls is it can affect the whole trajectory of a race. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden, uh, candidate A can get on the phone and be like, hey, I know you were holding out on donating, but look, we've got survey from, you know, pollster F that says I'm within this number of points. I mean, it, it, it's really, and it really is to me getting into risky territory. I, I do think there is a real value to the surveying when it comes to the mood of the public, um, what issues resonate, what's not resonating, but the horse race stuff, uh, it, it's, it's tricky territory because too many uh, media outlets are still referring to candidate A, 43, candidate B, 42 as leading. And I don't, I just, it just boggles my mind that, that we're still at a point where it's not shown that this is a statistical dead heat. So, sorry, I went off on a rant, but <laughs> there you Calm go. down, Zach. Calm down. Yeah. You're getting a little angry. Do you have any um, I mean, overreported? I, I think polls is great. I would take that one, but I'm, I'm not going, I can't. I'm guessing rules. Rules. Very, <laughs> very strict rules. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm going to go with the blue wave. Not that it wasn't something that should not have been reported, but I felt like at some point, particularly within the last few weeks, that was all I was hearing, not just in like typical news media, but a lot on podcasts. Every time there was an interview uh, with whoever, there was this talk of this blue wave. And I think it really kind of got away from itself. Um, You know, we saw more Democrats uh, taking different races, but I think in part, a lot of that had to do with Democrats just having more female candidates on some level. But also it created a weird expectation and in some ways a false expectation. It created uh, just weird dynamics about the race as a whole. And while I think, and it wasn't really based on a whole lot except Trump is unpopular. Um, So yeah, that was kind of something that I thought was a little bit went a little bit too far on some level. You got one, Jonathan? Um, I'm going to go with anything The Intercept ever published. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Say, left-leaning blog internet site that just wrote a bunch of incendiary stories um, favoring generally progressive candidates, most notably Abdul Al-Sayed, and was pretty unfair, I think, to other candidates uh, in the race. And um, But also, like with polls, then, you know, the campaign can say, look at this, why aren't you guys covering this? Huge news from The Intercept. So, yeah, The Intercept, er, really... Um, I have a feeling that when we post this, the nominees on the Twitter, that we may get some some interesting feedback from that, from that nomination. Might not want to tag them. I don't <laughs> we need to boost our followers, so maybe we could. We could that's a little bit good. Um, the next Golden Turkey Award, the biggest scoop, the reporting scoop of the campaign. Ooh. And you can nominate yourself if you really scooped a good one. This is everyone's throwing their head backs, they're looking at the ceiling, they're thinking. I think they're all really annoyed at me. <laughs> it's like, I want to think of something that we did, but I just, that's, it's easier to remember the times you get beat, so that's what's coming to mind. <laughs> you don't have to name the scooper. Or this. I, I'm going to give it to John Yob um, pulling out the shooty Vir- Virgin Islands oh. property story in the middle of a panel discussion That's at pretty the good. Michigan, Michigan Press Association. Um, not a traditional news media scoop, but uh, the Cali campaign hand-fed that to reporters at an event they knew many, many reporters would be at and covering. That was a good one. I mean, we had such, like, by-the-books candidates on some level that, it, I mean, I, my head goes to the shooty video, but I mean, it wasn't really a scoop. If is it a scoop? If like the campaign kind of, sort of, almost released it themselves on a, in a weird, yeah. I guess I'm gonna go with that, but I don't feel great about my answer. And if I had a few days, I you, you can amend it. If after Zach comes up with it, you can you can you can change. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I need a minute. He looks pained. Yeah, I know. This is tough. Do we ever figure out where the shooty video came from? You did a lot Jonathan's of Jonathan's. You did a lot on that, right? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jonathan <laughs> as being the scooper. Um, I have talked to the source, but um, my publication did not grant this person anonymity, so I have not I will. reported all of We will get we have the Cold Oatmeal podcast will grant anonymity. I'm going to defer to my editors on this one. <laughs> all right. I, I think I'll go with um, 
the, the Abdul El Sayed voter registration in New York mm. story. Uh, uh, that story. was, um, you know, that really froze that race for a while. You know, it put set Abdul El Sayed back quite a bit. These questions about whether he was actually eligible to run for governor under the Michigan Constitution because he had registered to vote in New York City. Um, he has to be very thankful that, for whatever reason, the uh, New York clerk uh, did not send the paperwork to the uh, Ann Arbor clerk to cancel his registration in Michigan. Otherwise, he would have been um, ineligible. Mm -hmm. But that really put the Al Sayed campaign in a real tough situation. It, it appeared to hurt their fundraising, and uh, it was just, um, you know. Gretchen Whitmer, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be good and lucky. And uh, she ran a good campaign, but she, you know, she got some breaks along the way. And, and there was one that, you know, fell into her lap. No love Gretchen. for Deadline Detroit. And the, the Gilchrist scoop, the, the house. I don't know. <coughs> I mean, I covered the Gilchrist story, but I, I was considering it as a nomination for the most over-reported yeah. story. I mean, I think it was interesting, but it was a, one day story and yeah. it turned out to be mostly a story about a guy who had fallen behind on what seemed to be a well-intentioned pro pro project in the first place. Uh, certainly, you know, the fact that he was behind on his property taxes and stuff, those are real issues, but uh, I don't know. I guess I was surprised at how much it was then used by opponents who didn't have much to attack Whitmer on and instead latched onto her running mate. Well, that was the thing. If if Gilchrist had been the candidate for governor, mm -hmm. then it would have been right. huge. But no, pe most people don't even know who the LG candidates are, mm -hmm. let alone they don't vote for them. You know, the joke we had in the office was, you know, boy, you know, President Dukakis is going to be really impressed with this attack because, you know, of course, the Democrats tried to make the 92, or I'm sorry, the 88 election about Dan Quayle. And it did not work. Mm. And uh, the shooting campaign put a lot of time and energy into various yeah. things Gilchrist said. And it's not that they didn't have legitimate reason. I mean, they did have, you know, there were legitimate arguments to make. The problem was that the mileage they were going to get out of it was just not going to be very much. Did you did you want to revisit your I was going to change nomination? my answer. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the Sri Tanadar and the dogs at his lab mm. situation. Because uh, I feel like around that time, he was looking like a possible candidate to at least kind of give Whitmer a run for her money on some extent. And then after that, everything just really seemed to to fall through. because yeah. Once you, you lose the Humane Society. <laughs> I mean, once people out. find out that you may or may not be in some way hurting animals, I mean, that's just... I think somebody once told me that if you can choose between hurting animals and hurting kids you want to hurt the kids as opposed to the animals as far as like a PR thing. I'm not saying I agree with that or endorse that. I'm just saying what they said. And I think that I'm going to go with that one. Okay. We got three more to go. So we will, we'll try to try to get these through quickly. Jonathan has work. He's got to do this afternoon. The golden Turkey award for the shrewdest campaign decision. So I'm looking for a point where you said, or you can look back now and think, man, the camp, that campaign made a really, that was a, a really good decision. That, that changed something in, in a positive way. Fix the damn road, so I'm gonna go with, I think it was the most memorable slogan of the campaign and spoke to a real issue that people cared about. And was bold, to use a swear word in a <laughs> statewide campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with, actually, it's not a, it doesn't end up being a campaign decision, but I think it may have helped, even though at the time it seemed like it was going to hurt. I'm going to go with Beth Clement and her proposal to uh, allowing that on the ballot. Because as we saw now, you know, Curtis Wilder, the other Republican, is no longer on the bench or no longer going to be on the bench. Beth Clement came out as a moderate Republican female who is willing to cross the line in a election cycle where I think people were really looking for that type of person and that type of candidate. Since Fix the Damn Roads is taken, because that, that definitely is probably the most clear nomination, I'll go with the... Uh, the Senate Democrats nominating uh, four uh, women who had never run for office before in Oakland and the key Oakland and Wayne County seats. Um, I mean, I th you start at the beginning of the cycle, you would have thought Nolan, Marty Nolenberg, um, 
whoever was going to be in southwest Oakland County for the Republicans and Laura Cox uh, were going to be clear favorites. And, uh, you know, Laura Cox loses, uh, Marty Nolenberg loses, uh, another Oakland seat that goes through Bloomfield Township goes to the Democrats. Um, Mike Bishop, that's, you know, Mike Bishop's, um, I'm sorry, but it's a, a longtime Republican seat. Bishop didn't have it. And then the southwest Oakland seat, which nobody ever thought would be competitive, uh, nearly flipped. Um, that was a bold move. You know, your traditional idea is find local elected officials um, that have some rapport with the community. And they went with four rookies, um, all women. Um, in three of those races, it was a woman against a man for the Republicans. And uh, the Democrats won three of the four and nearly won all four. Matt, I'm going to stick with fix the damn roads, but I'll throw another one out there, which I think is Wimmer's decision to get in the race so early in mm. early 2017. Yeah. That's good. Um, I think it's a really uh, awful precedent. What <laughs> 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 I'm not looking forward to uh, that candidates are going to be, you know, at a gubernatorial level declaring two years out from the election. But it was very effective for her. I think she, um, you know, got in early enough to secure some fundraising, secure some uh, union backing, and discouraged other high-profile Democrats from getting into the race. Um, that said, she still did have a pretty spirited primary, but, um, you know, if uh, Dan Kildee or Mark Bernstein uh, had run, it might have been a very different primary. So mm -hmm. um, I think it, it, in retrospect, it proved a wise decision by her and her campaign, I guess. Okay, so the Golden Turkey Award for the most creative effort by a campaign to get you to cover their stupid event. <laughs> I want to encourage uh, these things. Um, you you don't you didn't have to, you don't have to reward it by actually having covered it. But what was the what what was the thing that's like oh my oh my goodness what you're making this is your, this is your pitch to get me to come to your thing. Well, I think you know um, just uh, saying a special announcement with no uh. context. Um, it's always just a dubious uh, <laughs> thing to read in your inbox. It could be something important. It could be, uh, you know, um, a, a county prosecutor endorsement, which no offense to county prosecutors, but uh, I'm not going to cover that. Um, so, Shana, yeah, Shana just, was just once a county the, prosecutor. The vague, <laughs> vague, promises of, <laughs> vague promises of special announcements um, always... Uh, strike fear into the heart of a reporter because you don't want to miss something good, but you also don't want to be at something lame. Especially if it's, especially if it's special. We're all writing that down. We're making <laughs> it. Didn't the Democrats have some giant pill bottle to highlight? Yes, their, yes, they did. Um, a press, series of press conferences they were doing, I think, on prescription drugs and health care. Um, and so, you know, anytime I get an advisory for a news release that says something like, good visuals, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm always uh, an eyebrow raises and, uh, you know, well, we might, we might not have to staff that one. I especially like, since you'd have no pictures, right. you have no visuals <laughs> yeah. in Gonger. No, seldom, like, if ever. Know your audience. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, I mean, it wasn't a bad one, but it was definitely interesting and creative and got me there. I'm going to go with, uh, rally with the governor and bringing in no. Arnold Schwarzenegger to, uh, rally for your proposal and get people excited about redistricting. That was a, that was a move. Exciting. Okay. You can all be thankful. We are at the last golden turkey. <laughs> <laughs> the last one. So the golden turkey award for the moment you wish you'd chosen another career. Is there a moment during the last almost two years where you thought, man, maybe? I can think of one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear yours. Oh, maybe off, off pod. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing as thrilling as breaking a story, but there's nothing as demoralizing as getting asked to chase one at mm. 8 p.m. on a weeknight. Um, so, you know, that happens. By your bosses or by a campaign saying, chase this? It's by my bosses saying, hey, you know, uh, other unnamed publication has this story. Can you get it? Um, while I'm, you know, uh, cozying up in a blanket and getting ready to, <laughs> you know, turn my brain off and watch TV for a half hour. Jenny, you've had a couple jobs. Lawyer, reporter. <laughs> Is there a time that you want to switch? No, I mean, I haven't wanted to go back. I will say this, though. I mean, you know, 4 a.m., just 
refreshing your computer trying to figure out who won the attorney general's race so yeah. you can figure out a, you write up a story real quick and try and get some sleep that was i mean that was a rough moment um but then you know you take two hours of sleep and wake back up and keep refreshing and keep doing it but that was that was a moment i think the day that campaign finance reports get filed mm. and you're like your prisoner to your desk and computer hitting refresh and then the, the Bureau of Elections added a lot of security features, so now it, you were getting like this message like too many requests at once, so it just made it an absolutely torturous process. And ultimately, for stories, you know, the, the story about like, you know, candidate A raised, you know, this and candidate B raised that, you know, you can only, that, that only holds so much interest for me. It's, it's hard to get super excited about it. Um, and uh, when you are dealing with, you know, technology that's not being cooperative and, you know, the reports aren't turned in until five o'clock uh, for state candidates and maybe as late as 11.59 p.m. for federal candidates, you're just like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. All right. I got one more. I'm going to change my answer on this. <laughs> Getting a speeding ticket, leaving a Kellyanne Conway rally <laughs> in <laughs> Sterling Heights at 10 p.m. Oh, no. two days before the election. Oh, You could not get out of there fast enough. <laughs> oh, no. Did she show up at that one? She did. That was the that one, was she, came the one to? she did show up at. So, yeah. I, I'll throw out another one now that oh, things are starting, starting to remember this. So Floodgates. Um, I had gone out to Grand Rapids to have dinner in the evening with a high school friend. It was a Monday. I figured it looked, it was, you know, April of, I'm trying to remember. It was, it was a long time. It was April of 2017. So we're not even in the heat of the election yet. You don't think there's going to be some big story. And uh, we're eating dinner, and all of a sudden, uh, news uh, breaks that uh, Dan Kildee's not going to get into the governor's race, and uh, broke, you know, in the deep into the evening. I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" So this was a friend I hadn't seen in a while. I was like, "I'm sorry, I've got to make some calls, uh, you know, figure out what's going on." And I just remember thinking, you know, it would be nice to have, you know, we're a year and a half away for the election. <laughs> Here's a friend I haven't seen in like, you know, six months to a year, and we, you know took the time to arrange in our schedules to have dinner and then here at 9 30 at night uh, work is intervening this really stinks <laughs> i will say this I, I, now i want to add one more is just the week before the, <laughs> the week before the election i just did not want to write another election story and that was all my stations wanted they were just like but the, the election's like a week away or you know a few days away can you please do an election story can you do i'm like but i want to write about a court case where a guy has to get rid of all of his blue garbage except for a blue rubber ducky like can i write about that <laughs> <laughs> no Having to cover another Ted Nugent appearance. Oh, oh no, yeah. thank you. Right. So that concludes the Golden Turkeys. This was I, I, clearly a success. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank the three of you, Zach, Shana, and Jonathan, for joining us. Um, we are going to post these nominations at the Cold Oatmeal Pod on Twitter. So go on there and vote. And if we can get some votes, we will make awards of of the, the reporter who has the most nominations that receives the, the, the famous golden turkey. So thank you all for joining us. Sincerely and seriously, Zach, will have you on next time. So you right. can have <laughs> <laughs> um, and have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Thanksgiving? I don't think I do. I think they all are basically they're <coughs> they they run really consistent. They're all they're all good. Thanksgiving I think Thanksgiving's great because it's it's low stat stress. The I mean, for like, you, for, you're not for cooking. Me, I'm not cooking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fine. I know exactly what it is, and it's awesome. I I always love Thanksgiving. Was always one of my favorites for a number of reasons. One. You, I, at least, I was blessed to have a mom who cooked really well and who enjoyed doing it. And so you, I would wake up on Thanksgiving to the smell of the turkey. 
Like she mm-hmm. would, she would get up at you know six o'clock in the morning or whatever to put that stupid bird in. It had to be so big. It had to be in for so long with a family our size. And then you go in. And turn How on big the does a turkey have to be to feed a family your size? Oh, pretty big. Like ostrich size? How 40, many? Forty-five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I you know. I I, I never bought the turkey oven? that size. But yeah, it fits in the standard oven, but um, but you can't get a lot of carrots and stuff in there with it. I mean, you gotta. You sort of have to cook that. So I, a lot of people, I think, cook that stuff in with the turkey and mm-hmm. with the bird. I mean, you can stuff it, but then that's about it, and you've got to cook everything else separate. But it would take, I mean, if she put it in at 6 in the morning, it'd be, you know, it'd be ready to carve by about 12. My, my parents do this awesome thing where they say, okay, we're going to eat at 4. <clears throat> I blame this on my dad completely. and I, Well, partly my mom, because I don't know why she lets my dad be anywhere near this process, but... Um, it's always like, okay, we're going to try to eat around four, and my dad will have like a whole little calculation figured out for when the bird needs to go in, and mm-hmm. like, this is when I'm going to be doing this. He's always off by like two and a half hours. Every every <laughs> damn year, my mom's always furious at him, and it's always six o'clock, and we still haven't eaten, and it's just like, yeah, dad, figure this out. Like, we've done this, we've done this literally my entire life. Well, you, you can tell him you can actually put it in a couple hours earlier than you thought, and if it's done... You can carve it. You can keep it warm. Like you, you know, you don't have to. Yeah, you'd think that. You'd think. You'd, you'd think that'd work that way. So when I was, I was, I think I was in college. My parents remodeled their kitchen, and they uh, nice remodel, new kitchen. And the first time I think we discovered that they did not pick a standard size oven was on Thanksgiving morning when my mother tried to put the turkey. Mm. In the oven, and it did not fit. Ooh, and so we had a, a fully dressed raw bird, <laughs> and no place to stick it. How yeah. big was the oven? It was not. It wasn't that big, apparently. And then the other thing, <laughs> I I guess I thought ovens were ovens. Right? <laughs> the bird it was a convection oven. The bird mm-hmm. didn't fit in it. And then the funny part was that I think the next year we got we we got a smaller bird. And it was one of those, you know, it was like the beginning of the time when the the stoves had like the electronic computer dashboard on them rather than knobs. Mm -hmm. And the turkey cooked for so long that the steam and the heat came out of the thing and got the water got behind the plastic on the computer dashboard and shorted out the oven. And halfway through the cooking, the turkey's cooking, the oven shorted out. And started flashing F seven F seven F seven, which we always joke because anytime there's a tornado, we start saying F seven F seven F seven, which we know is not right, but that's what we say. And then the so they get a new oven. The exact same thing happened the following Thanksgiving. This is my most memorable. So I have a a very nice memory, but then it, you always remember the things that went wrong. The first and only time I've ever had been responsible to cook the turkey, and it happened after I got married. Um, and Sarah had, so she works nights and so she was working the night before Thanksgiving. And so I wasn't going to drive to Grand Rapids with the boys to be with my family and, and leave her to sleep and wake up by herself at five o'clock in the afternoon. I, I thought that would suck. So I'm like, I'm going to cook the turkey. So I had it already. And, but we, she insisted for some reason on cleaning the oven the night before to make sure because it's going to be on for so long. We don't want to start a fire. I like, I don't know. Like, can you start a fire in the oven? Isn't that the point of the oven? Anyhow, so we we did whatever, and we we you know we put the stuff in. We set the preset to to burn everything out with this uh, self cleaning feature, and it fried the the computer, the self cleaner, and it melted the stupid thing so the door wouldn't even open. So the next morning I go to put I go to pre- I preheat it won't preheat. I go to try and pull the th- the door won't open. I had to scramble and call my in laws who drove over and picked up the bird and cooked it at their house. They weren't planning on being home for Thanksgiving. It was bad. Like the one time I'm responsible for Thanksgiving dinner. Way to go, dinner. Nick. Way even. to go. Have you, ever the, cooked, have you ever cooked a turkey? No, Nikki? I haven't. I'm responsible for the green bean casserole. Really? People actually eat it? that? I mm-hmm. do. That's my favorite. Yeah, side. Catherine yeah. loves that it's, stuff. I don't, yeah. When you make it correctly, it tastes delicious. <laughs> I always thought it was yeah. maybe like an urban legend. So what? You don't make You don't green have green bean casserole? casserole? No. What? <clears throat> what? What? It's a Thanksgiving I think it's staple. Kinda, I think it's kind of gross, I'm, yeah. and I'm not that picky. It's definitely know. my favorite side. It I was ready to say that during our other segment. I, how yeah. is stuffing not everyone's answer? I don't like stuffing. I like I stuffing. stuffing. It's grown on me. Yeah. I used to hate it. I can see why Thanksgiving's turned into people yelling at each other. Like <laughs> <laughs> creamy casserole? <laughs> casserole, gross. So I don't want to get stuffed hope, hopes up because I, do, I have no knowledge that this is happening, but... 
my positive memory of Thanksgiving was when my brother was at West Point. And so we always, our tradition is to go around the table and say what you're thankful for, which is an annoying part of Thanksgiving, you know, the actual giving <laughs> thanks part. Um, Cause you go, what am I going to say? Oh shoot, my brother said football. Now I can't say football. Now I got to come up with something else. Oh, my sister said mom and dad. Now I can't say mom and dad. But so you go, and so we go in order of age. And so the plan had been that Ted had gotten a phone call and he was going to be able to call in. So we had him on the phone during mm-hmm. the go around the circle. And, um, but we had secretly flown him in the night before he had gotten mm-hmm. one day leave. So we flew him in. So he walked up the stairs on his cell phone during his part, and my mom lost and cried, and wow. and that was great. Wow. So that that was my positive thing. Yeah. It was just like all those TV commercials where you see like you know a soldier walking in. And it was the best Thanksgiving That's really ever. Nice. Yeah. yeah, Thanksgiving miracle. It was. So the Golden Turkeys, the the inaugural Golden Turkey Awards. We heard our reporter friends give their nominations in a, a number of categories. We're gonna run. We're gonna take our Twitter feed for a test run here. We've added a couple followers. The followers can vote. We'll be posting the golden turkeys and we'll be running the vote tally. And uh, big, big episode next, next time. Next episode should be big. Yeah, we need to find someone to MC the thing though. I don't for know, sure. I don't know who the first would. awards gala. Yeah, Stephanie, what are you wearing? Uh, the question is, who am I wearing? Oh, I'm sorry. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna have to really think about it. I mean, it's got to be. For sequined for sure. Whatever it is, it'll be sequined. Do you have m- much of that in the closet? No. No. Definitely gonna have to shop. Okay. So I can help you out. I thanks. have a couple sequin things. Well, everyone, go who is listening, go to Twitter to the at Cold Oatmeal Pod P O D Cold Oatmeal Pod. You'll see our nominations for the Golden Turkeys, the 2018 Golden Turkey Awards. Um, vote as often as you can and share with <laughs> folks so we can get some people to vote and we, we may even have a prize and so we'll see if Shana or Zach or Jonathan are the winners of the the inaugural 2018 Golden Turkey Awards. I bet if we vote as a block we can just decide who wins. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not much question about that. That's probably, probably. probably a safe oh. bet. You and your brother <laughs> and the whale. Get the whale and with the turkey. So with that, um, it is the end here of our Thanksgiving episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Shana, to Zach, and to Jonathan for being our guests. Go to Twitter at, at Cold Oatmeal Pod and vote for the Golden Turkeys. And we will talk to you next time. Have a great holiday. Oh, well, you could tell me the lies Just like I'm one of the guys And make it more than a single chapter Oh, but you're not writing a book With little more than a look And I get lost in the sweet Disaster I'm never alone I just let it go Oh, I never wanted to change I never